I wonder if you've ever welcomed royalty. What sort of welcome would you give a king? In 1982, I was a shop fitter's labourer and our company won a contract to build and assemble lots of display cases for precious artworks like vases in the National Gallery in Canberra. Over the three months or so that I lived in Canberra, there was great anticipation and pressure to have everything done in time for the grand opening night of the gallery. On that night in October 1982, it felt strange to go from my daytime role, wandering freely round the gallery carrying my tools, to being barred by security. All the security around royalty that night meant my very low-level security clearance wasn't going to get me into the main event. I took a spot standing outside the gallery in the dark trying to see over the crowds of people around me. As is my habit, I didn't get there early enough to be in the front row. And then royalty arrived, not a king, but a queen, Queen Elizabeth herself. As she stepped out of her car, we all strained to see her. Amongst the flashing lights, the dignitaries meeting her bowed and curtsied, and I cheered and clapped with all my fellow plebs, welcoming Her Majesty. Well, what sort of welcome would you extend to royalty? What sort of welcome would you give a king? That's the question raised for us by Matthew chapter 2 today. For here we see God's own very high security detail around his king and we see the different welcomes the king receives. The king is, of course, Jesus. And in case you're in any doubt from our readings that it's accurate to identify Jesus as king, you could cast your eyes to the very opening words of Matthew chapter 1 there. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. The genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah. Don't worry, we're not going to work slowly through the family tree of Jesus tonight, though he does have some very interesting skeletons in his closet for another day. But for tonight, notice he is Jesus, the Messiah. Our other English translations of our Bibles will have Christ Jesus the Christ instead of Jesus the Messiah. Christ is simply the Greek translation of the Hebrew Messiah. They both mean God's chosen king. God's chosen king long anticipated and long promised to the Jews and anticipated greatly by them. The king who would bring in a just and good kingdom and save his people forever. And from the opening eight words of the whole of the New Testament, because, of course, Matthew's the first book of it, Jesus is the Messiah. The Messiah has come. The king is here. Long live the king. No, we don't want this king, is what some are thinking. This is the Christmas story that isn't really about Christmas. It isn't mainly about Christ coming as about how people react to the news that he has come. So in chapter 2, we're going to see... A cold welcome, a warm welcome, and a hostile welcome. First, a a cold welcome. You may have some unexpected visitors at Christmas time. Isn't that what the Cadbury Favourites advert warns us about? Well, I hope you'll be ready if it happens to you. The Magi were very unexpected when they turned up in Jerusalem. We're told that they're from the east. People reason that that probably means they're from Babylon. And over the years... 
The King James Version of the Bible, written translated so many years ago, has immortalised them in the English-speaking world as wise men. And then a Christmas carol following a third-century unfounded speculation that they're kings, in fact, three kings of Orient. We don't know if there were three. But there were three gifts, so that, that's a good guess. But characteristically for Magi, they're drawn to Jerusalem by a star because Magi, what that word means is that they are in fact into dreams, astrology and magic. Astrology was really big in the ancient world of the first century. What made these astrologers identify that particularly unusual star with the birth of the Jews, Messiah. They they weren't Jews, so where did they even get the idea? Well, probably one thing we can say is in Babylon there was a really significant Jewish population. So the Magi would have been exposed to the Jewish writings. That's probably part of the explanation, but why the star? I, I don't know. Naturally, as they come looking for a Jewish king, they head to the Jewish capital, Jerusalem. We're told they disturb King Herod and the rest of Jerusalem by asking, where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? Herod is disturbed because he can accept no rivals. More of him in a moment. But right now, I just want to focus on the reaction of the Jewish religious leadership. When asked where the Messiah was to be born, they've got a ready answer in verse 5. In Bethlehem, in Judea, For this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. The quote comes from an Old Testament prophet, Micah, and is enhanced by that last line, which is added in from 2 Samuel chapter 5, which adds emphasis to the idea that this ruler from Bethlehem really is the Messiah that they're looking for. Well, how would you describe the reaction of the Jewish leadership to the news that the Messiah might have been born only five kilometres away in Bethlehem? Alarm that they'd missed it? Excitement to go and see him? Concern that he needed to be prepared for his future role and Bethlehem's no place for a king to grow up? No, none of that, just nothing. Apathy is probably the best term to describe the welcome the Jewish leadership extend to the king. It's a a cool welcome. There's no indication that they were spurred into action to organise an expedition to Bethlehem to meet the king. No, they seem to treat it maybe like fake news. It's going to have no effect on their lives. Of course, apathy is a reaction Jesus gets today still. It's easy to be cool about someone's claims to be your saviour and king when you're comfortable and mostly self-sufficient and don't really feel like you need saving from anything. When you live in the best city on earth, in the most desirable country. Be wary though, if apathetic about Jesus is the best label for you because there are no fence-sitters with Jesus. If you haven't welcomed him as your king and saviour, then you haven't got a king and saviour when it comes to eternity and entry into Christ's eternal kingdom. You'll be on your own. The other problem with apathy is that it's so easy to be apathetic when something doesn't affect you. So at the moment, I just find it interesting that so many people are parking their travel vans in the car park above Freshwater Pool. I don't care about it 
until, and I know it's going to happen this week, I won't be able to find a parking spot when I want to go swimming. Then I will care very much. The religious leaders could be apathetic about a new Jewish king being born, about a mere baby, until he grew up and started challenging their hypocrisy and self-interested manipulation of people and grew in popularity. And then their apathy went to hostility and they got him executed on a cross. Do beware of apathy toward Jesus, lest you become an enemy of the person you need most. The warm enthusiasm of the Magi stands in sharp contrast to the apathy of the religious leaders. They make this really long journey from Babylon following a star. Now, I'm imagining they're riding camels. Are you doing that as well? We aren't told, but it's hard to get years of Christmas card images out of your head, isn't it? We don't know how they travelled, except it was triggered by a star. And Matthew sees this star as not some coincidental astronomical occurrence, like a comet. No, it's a supernatural thing. Verse 9, after they heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they'd seen when it rose, back in Babylon, went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. The star seems to have disappeared when or since they left Babylon. And now as they approach Bethlehem, it reappears and marks out the place. Baby, king, here. House or or just the town. Anyway, notice their reaction. No apathy here. They were overjoyed. They know they're on the right track when the star they'd first seen back in Babylon reappears on the way to Bethlehem. And look at the welcome fit for a king they extend in verse 11. They bow down and worship him, then they open their treasures and present him with gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. Did you notice the interesting thing there about where Jesus and his family are living? They're living in a house in Bethlehem. It's not a stable Again, it's hard to get the Christmas card image of the Magi standing with the shepherds and the animals around the manger on the first Christmas night out of our heads. But it's most probably sometime later when the Magi arrive. After all, they've had this really long journey from Babylon, a journey that doesn't start until after the star rises to mark his birth. Do beware getting your spiritual instruction from Christmas cards and nativity scenes rather than the Bible. More importantly, what do you understand by the Magi's behaviour, by the warm welcome they give Jesus? What what does it show about their attitude to the king? What, What does it mean to worship him? It means to give him his worth. In their own way, through the gifts, they acknowledge the child Jesus' kingly credentials. As is customary in the ancient East, When approaching a superior, they bring gifts, and they're really expensive gifts. Gold, frankincense is an expensive perfume, and myrrh as well. This is a welcome fit for a king. And most notable of all in this story, it's extended not by the Jewish king Herod or the Jewish religious leaders. It's left to foreigners, to Gentiles as the Jews called them, to extend the welcome which is a pointer to a wonderful truth. Jesus isn't just the king of the Jews. He isn't just the Jewish saviour. 
he'll ultimately die for and be the saviour from sins of the whole world and rise to rule a kingdom open to the whole of humanity. He's the Jewish Messiah, but that Messiah was always going to be the means of drawing the whole world to God. And aren't we glad that is true? Jesus was told to name the child Jesus because, Joseph was told, he would save his people from their sins. Well, from here in chapter 2, it starts to become obvious that his people won't be determined by race or blood. It's going to be determined by attitude, by having a warm and welcoming attitude toward the king. On Jesus' part, he welcomes anyone from any race or language. But on our part, what will a welcome fit for this king look like in our life? Now that he's risen and in heaven, he doesn't need gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. I imagine that was very helpful, though, when they rushed off to Egypt and needed some money. What he needs is our lives, our worship. We welcome and worship Christ when we acknowledge our need of his saving work and ask for forgiveness and new relationship. We welcome and worship Christ when we read and obey his teaching. We welcome and worship Christ when we pray, giving thanks for all we have and asking for our needs and the needs of others. We welcome and worship Christ when we give of our time to serve people in love in his name. You'll know if in your life you're wanting to welcome and worship Christ. Are you warm or cold toward Christ? And if you're cold, then do think about talking more with someone about the doubts or questions you have. Since Christ is God's king, you you want to be identified as one of his people when the judgment time comes around. Well, it's almost 10 years, almost 10 years to the day before we enthusiastically welcomed Queen Elizabeth outside Australia's new National Gallery of Art, she experienced a very hostile welcome from about 400 uni students at Stirling University in the United Kingdom. It was described at the time as probably the most hostile and rowdy reception she has ever experienced in Britain. She was heckled and jeered by students with shouts of, Queen out! and she had to be protected by special branch detectives and police. That hostile welcome to our Queen is nothing on the hostile welcome King Jesus received from King Herod. In verse 7 and 8 there, Herod was feigning genuine interest and desire to give a king's welcome to the young king while trying to get information out of the Magi. There in verse 8, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so I may go and worship him. And from then on, we see many indications of a, a key truth in the story of the Magi. God the Father is intervening to protect his king and he uses dreams and angels to do so. Jesus, you'd agree, has quite some security detail. Angels and their dreams. So verse 12, the Magi are warned in a dream not to go and report where exactly the child is living. Then immediately verse 13, Joseph has an angel appear in a dream with the urgent message, get up, 
Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Now, Egypt is outside Herod's jurisdiction, and there's a million Jews living there at the time. So it's a good place to go and hide. However, there's reason for haste. Jerusalem is, after all, only five kilometres from Bethlehem. Yet the border to get to safety is 75 miles away. Fortunately, they get there because Herod doesn't realise they've escaped. He's still focusing on Bethlehem. Since the Magi don't return to him and tell him exactly which boy is the Messiah, he horrifyingly has all the boys two years and under murdered at Bethlehem. Again, notice the fact that it's the boys two years old and under. That tells you again that the Magi's visit to Jesus definitely wasn't on the night he was born, sometime later. This mass murder is shocking, isn't it? Given Bethlehem is a small place, I imagine, I'm guessing, a dozen boys maybe? A dozen families? It's still too many. It fits what we know of Herod's character. Herod was so jealous of power and position that at different times when he felt threatened by them, he had one of his wives executed and later on three of his sons at different times executed because he thought they were plotting for his throne. Herod, remember, is culturally Jewish and so a Roman leader is said to have once joked, better to be Herod's pig than Herod's son. He was a nasty man. Well, God was specially favouring this one child because he had big plans for him. Ultimately, this one child would die at the hands of Jewish and Roman leaders, but only when the time was right, only when he'd lived long enough to fully identify with humanity so he could be their sin substitute, and only when he'd spent time proving by his deeds that he was indeed the Christ, news which his followers would spread as they announced the good news of welcome to God's kingdom to anyone who welcomed Christ. So I've got to ask, is your reaction to Jesus more like Herod's than cold or warmly welcoming, more hostile? You'd be happy not to hear about Jesus and to have Christmas carols sung about him at this time of year. You're here today because you're keeping a promise or pleasing someone. I get that, and thank you for respectfully enduring this service, especially this talk. I'm nearly done. The Herods of this world who'd rather have Jesus and his people silenced run a grave risk, of course, if the Bible account is true. You can be picky about this detail and that detail, like how did the Magi know how to to follow a star hundreds of miles? And I can be picky about this and that in the story as well, but it's not enough to silence Jesus. You've got to investigate carefully whether he lived, whether he died and rose again before you can safely consign him to the ranks of Santa Claus and Aesop's fables. And I know that the pain and suffering in this world, so often unjustly inflicted by wicked people like Herod or apparently random and unfair, I know that the suffering in this world seems to scream, no God, or at the very least, God doesn't care. But the problem with that position 
is that then you get Christmas coming along and Jesus saying that he came into the world because God so loved the world. He came into the world to save the world and bring in a better one. God does care, but sometimes it's just hard to see it and you're having trouble seeing it. And that's okay because we all do at all times. The difference for us who welcome and worship the king is that we've learnt to depend on and ask the king for all our needs and to trust that his answers are good, even when sometimes it's hard to understand. Herod and his descendants have only themselves, their money or their intellect or their technology to rely on. And I'm afraid those are very fickle gods. They abandon you every time in your hour of greatest need. Sometimes we get to the end of our resources And then we need to look to the king. Make sure you are right with him when you consider him not worthy of welcome. My guess, though, is that nearly all of you here are responding to Jesus with either a cold welcome or a warm and worshipful welcome. For those in the cold and apathetic group, answer this question. What would it take to get you to genuinely welcome and worship Jesus and make sure your answer has something to do with you, not him, because he's already the king. For those in the warm and worshipful welcome group, you know that something this year is going to challenge or dull your welcome to Jesus, something hard or just the busyness of life. So what might you take from this passage to use as your... Realignment tool when that happens. For you it might be verse 11. They bowed down and worshipped him. For me, it's verse 10. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. I want to be like them. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you for this little passage where we get to think really hard about our response to Jesus. Thank you for the way in which you preserved and kept him safe so he could grow up to be the saviour and to rise and be the Lord and to be the one that we look to to help us in our life every day. Father, we pray that like the Magi, we would have a warm and welcoming attitude to Jesus, that you would help us to worship him in the way that is right. Amen.